Well, good morning. Welcome to Crossroads. It's a beautiful day outside. Uh, I'm going to welcome our online community. If you, whatever stream you're joining us from this morning, welcome to Crossroads, and we hope you're having an amazing day. We're going to be tank, taking communion about midway through the service, so if you want to get your elements ready for your on, the online community. Miracles when you move, such an easy thing for you to do. In your hand is moving right now. You are still showing up at the tune of every Jericho. Your voice is calling me out. And right now, I know you're able. And my God, come through again. You can do to hear Samuel uh, share with us. It was so good. We've asked Samuel Marks to share with us again this week. Let's hear it for Samuel. 
Good morning. Oh, I'm on. Okay, great. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we, uh, yeah, we began a conversation last week, and uh, I've been kind of self-deprecating and joking with my wife about the, the desire to express something to you that is it's really difficult to communicate. And uh, I was telling some new folks that I met this morning that I really wish it was Pastor Scott speaking this morning. Um, but no, my wife gave me good advice. She said I should tell more stories. And so I think I'm going to try and do that. That'll help kind of communicate the ideas. And one of the stories I do want to share with you this morning uh, is, uh, you, if you remember, if you were here last week, there was a really, there was the, the, the trumpet of heaven began to blast out of one of these, <laughs> one of these speakers over here. And, uh, and I took that as my cue that God was telling me to sit down and, and, and shut up. And uh, if you also were here last week, you remember that our kids were in the room. And so later on in, in the week, we were asking our kids what they remembered from the, the sermon. And it was surprising, actually, how much that they had, they had gathered from it, um, which, helped, which helped me to, to mend my wounds a little bit. But, um, but they, uh, they, they said their favorite part of the sermon was when God told me to shut up. The, so good thing to have kids man it's good but they they, they that reminder is with me even now as i i want to just dive right into the text that the lectionary gives us this morning from our from our gospels uh the gospel of luke so i'm gonna i'm gonna just dive right in try to get through um this sermon in the next about 20 minutes here so if you want to join me we're going to go to luke chapter 10 and we're going to be reading from um this passage here verses 25 through through 37 <clears throat> I had notes up here that are just gone now, which is, which is okay. I mean, that's okay. There's a specific section of that that I want to read um, directly. Oh, thank you, Pastor Claire. <laughs> I think, is that that? Safekeeping. Yeah, thank you. That's perfect. That's, yes, ma'am. Wait, I have more. I don't think any of that's mine. <laughs> no. No, no, no. I'm good. Okay. We're gonna, I'll just read that from the screen. Thank you. Okay. Um, so let's begin reading Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is going to be very familiar to you, and uh, I want to kind of look at it a little differently today. So let's just read together. On, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Uh, Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Look after him, and when I return, 
I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And he said to him, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Lord, I pray that you'd open our ears and our hearts to receive your word today. Thank you for your word. Amen. I want to look at these last words that Jesus speaks to the man when he says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And how we might be hearing them today. If you remember last week, we were talking a little bit about the way that we can often think about God. I, I kind of named those as magical or realistic thinking. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. In quick summary, magical thinking is a kind of thinking that God is going to save us, to rescue us from the suffering of our neighbors. That God is going to be a power that I can leverage to make my life comfortable while my neighbors suffer. God's kind of a, 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 you know, a magic uh, sky genie that I, I get to make my life the way I want it and that he kind of helps me do that with his power. And of course, God isn't doing magic and that's kind of something we were talking about last week. I wanted to share a story uh, and, and it's hard to do that because it feels like I would be kind of, you know, making fun of somebody else. But I, I wanted to share a story of my own. My own kind of magical thinking about God. So we, you, can, you can laugh at me, all right? <laughs> so the, the, the story is, I, you know, Lindsay and I, we used to pastor in Chicago, and many times we would come around the lake to come visit family here in Michigan. And on one such occasion that I remember very, very clearly, we were actually late. We, we were getting on the road. But we were behind schedule. I was frustrated about that. Something kind of a hiccup in the, in the preparation to leave. And so we're coming around the lake, and the... Just as we were coming through, there was this huge and horrible accident that happened on 94. And it was like, I remember reading the, in the paper about it, that, that it was like one of the worst accidents in the last 10 years or something. Does anybody remember that? I don't, I don't remember when that was, what year it was. But we were, we were traveling around the lake, and we happened to be just, I'm telling you, I could see the dust settling. We were just behind this awful accident that claimed tons of lives, hurt many people. And... I remember sharing later on about that story as if the hiccup in our schedule was kind of something God was doing because we were important enough to keep safe. Now, I didn't say it that way, right? I inferred it by my speech around the incident. But man, look how God was looking out for us to make us be delayed and how silly it was that I was frustrated about that little hiccup and it saved our lives. Praise God. Now, I know none of you have talked about God that way. Wink, wink. I don't know if you can see it or hear it. But I certainly did. But there is nothing more unfaithful to Jesus. There is nothing more untrue of the way of Jesus. That I would be protected and comforted while others suffer. It's the opposite of how God treats us. It's the opposite of what Jesus is like. To stand by comfortable while others suffer. And to rejoice that my life has been made comfortable while there are people in pain. There's nothing more untrue of Jesus than that. But we also talked about realistic thinking. You remember that? We kind of think about God in, in a realistic way. And what we mean by that is that God is kind of over here in this spiritual stuff. 
God is the thing that, 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 that he does that stuff where I pray to him and he forgives my sins. But everything else, as it comes to the economy or politics or the world and how it goes and how we live our lives, we're going to have to do some things that, you know, God might not be happy with, but oh well, we have to do what we have to do. I don't know if you remember like the, the series Breaking Bad. There was, always, there was always this like, it had to be done was like a phrase throughout that series. If any of you watched it, there was always just like just this necessity for him to do the next horrible thing. As he got, he dug his grave deeper and deeper, you know, it just got worse and worse. And that's kind of the way that we talk about God too. God, it just has to get done this way. That's the way the world works. And that realistic thinking, I, I was speaking to a man who was in a class that I was teaching a couple years ago when I was pastoring. Um, there was a class I was teaching on Romans, and I, I prayed a prayer on Sunday, and it was just after the week of Philando Castile's, uh, uh, the killing of Philando Castile and, Al- and Alton Sterling. And I prayed, God, forgive us for all of the bloodshed in our soil, on our soil. And I was praying about the loss of indigenous life in our history, and, and specifically the, last, the loss of, uh, of the lives of black people and people of color and the indigenous that are here. And all the history of what's been done to people in our country. And I was praying that prayer. But I was also praying for the police officers who had, at that time, had just been shot in Dallas. And if you remember that same week, there was just a whole bunch of bloodshed. And there were police officers in Dallas that had been sniped from a, from a, in Texas. Anyway, this man was angry about my prayer. And he came to me and he said, why do I, why do I need to care about all of that? Like, why do I need to be praying about an indigenous people? Like, it happened, it's over. And I said, well, well, how would you feel if, if people came and took your land and took your property and killed you and just, you know, routed you out of your own place? And he said, what would I care? I'd be dead. That's realistic thinking, right? He can't even empathize because he's just thinking that's the way the world works. But he wasn't ready for the next question, which was, okay, but how do you want me to feel about it? That being done to you. And he didn't know what to say. And so that's, that's magical thinking and realistic thinking. And we remember we encountered that in Naaman, Naaman the Syrian. He's, he's responding to Elisha's word that he has to go and wash in the Jordan. You remember that? So his response was, of course, I thought he was going to do some magic for me. I thought he was going to wave his hand and heal, do this thing. And the other was that, well, if he's not going to do the magic, well, then shouldn't I wash in a river that makes more sense to me? Why do I, <laughs> why do I have to do the thing that God is saying to do? And that's, that's where we're at. We, we, we hear this go and do likewise. And I think that we can kind of hear that as realistic thinking. Like God has done everything God is going to do. And now we have to do what we're going to do. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of thinking that says, okay, Jesus is like a model. So magical thinking says Jesus does everything. Right? Jesus does the work. We don't have to do anything. We offer thoughts and prayers. We're done. But realistic thinking kind of says, well, Jesus is a model, and now we do it. But neither of those is true. It's easy to land there, and I get it, but it, neither of those is true. Go and do likewise is, is a kind of sense that, that now we, have, we know what we're supposed to do, now we go and do it. But remember what we said about Naaman. Naaman couldn't possibly have wanted his healing unless his healing had already begun. Naaman couldn't have possibly obeyed unless his will to obey had already been healed, had already been started. The healing for his will had already begun. And this is the same thing here. When Christ is telling us, go and show mercy like you've heard in this story, he's not saying, apart from me. 
We can only be the mercy of God. That was what we were talking about last week. We talked about being the room of God. But we can only be the room of God as God takes up home in us. So today I'm talking not about becoming the room of God. I'm talking about becoming the room for God. Becoming the room for God. Because we can only do likewise as likewise is done in us. We don't go and do what Christ did because now we've seen the model. We do what Christ did because it's happening in us. Christ is happening in us. That's how we become a room for God so that we can be the room of God for others. So it's kind of the second half of last week's message. So, but how do we become a people who recognize and welcome Jesus? I think that it's it, for us, many of us who are in this room, we're here because we love Jesus. Right? We, we like him. <laughs> I, I think you do. I'm pretty sure. And so it's hard for us to imagine. It's hard for us to imagine and to read the Gospels rightly. But over and over again in the Gospels, the, the story that the Gospels give us is a Jesus who is met over and over again with conflict and rejection. A recognition of him in one sense and yet a, a, a misunderstanding of him in another. But no matter what, he is always rejected. Jesus says something like this to, to his disciples and he says that, that uh, even a prophet is, is without honor in his own town. But that's the way it's read in Matthew and Luke. But actually in the, in the Gospel of Mark, it's much more intense than that. Jesus says, even a prophet is without honor in his, in his own town. He says, even in his own home, in his own family. I don't know what, if you've experienced this, but probably the most painful experience is, is living out your life with your family and being rejected by your own family. You know, and through the last couple of years and all of the division that we've seen politically, etc., many of you have probably experienced some pain in your family as you go different ways and figure things out separately from each other. But Jesus is talking about the kind of rejection that, that he is experiencing over and over again. Jesus is not, Jesus is never what you think he is. I know it's easy to imagine that we would, we would encounter Jesus today, we would recognize him, and we would welcome him. But that's not the tale of the Gospels. Over and over again, Jesus is something other than we are expecting. And I think that that's what's happening with Naaman. In all those responses to Naaman, there's a certain disappointment in what he says. God's word is not magical, and it's not what I imagine it should be. And so he's kind of met with a certain expectation that goes disappointed. We, I think that, I think more than, more than we care to admit, more than we care to admit, we, if we, even if we do recognize Jesus in our midst, we also recognize what he's asking of us and we don't like it. We see Jesus and we don't really want that. We don't really want what he, how he comes to us. We're like Naaman, we recognize him and what he asks of us and we don't want that. Part of why I think that we don't want what Jesus wants for us, why we don't like how Jesus comes to us, is because Christ is always present where weakness is. Do you remember where Paul says this to the church in Corinth? Paul says to them, and I'm going to quote this here, he said, He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that, so that Christ's power may rest in me. This is about becoming the room for God. How does Christ's power rest in me? In my weakness. Many of us have heard this and thought of this as saying like, all of your deficiencies, God is going to magically make you stronger in those places, right? That even if, even if, I, if I showed up today for this message and I didn't prepare, that's how you know God is here, right? <laughs> God's working in this sermon because I didn't prepare a bit. And everything I'm saying, it's so impressive because God is making me impressive to you, you know? <laughs> but this, of course, isn't what Paul is saying. Paul isn't talking about God doing magic in his life. Making a life that he wants and imagines for himself. He's saying, Christ is at work in me where I'm a disappointment. Christ is most at work in me where I am failing. Christ is at work in me where I am a bitter disappointment to myself. And so I rejoice in that and I trust it. That's what he's saying. And we're disappointed with our own selves, our own lives. And so we project a kind of person we want to be. Hello. Hello. Instagram. Paul is recognizing that there are places where he is powerless to change his life. He, just before this, he talks about having a thorn in his side. Do you remember this? He says, God's given me a thorn in my side, and I prayed for him to take it away. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, I don't have the power to control my life the way I want to. And God isn't giving me that power. And God isn't being that power. God isn't a, a power that I leverage to make my life what I want it to be. God will disappoint us over and over again if that's what we think he's here for. Many of us have been lucky enough to make lives that are comfortable. And we call that blessed. But I'm not going to meddle there. <laughs> So how do we become a room for God? What, what do we hear here in Paul's word about Christ being present in our weakness? What he's saying is, is Christ is present in your true self. Not the, not the person that you've projected yourself to be to others. Not the person I've projected myself to be before you. Christ is present to my real self. The me I don't want you to know about. The me I don't want you to see. The difficulties that I'm dealing with that you don't know anything about. Christ is present in loving me. The real me. The real you. And so to be a room for God is to, is to have God come be present. And be present to that real me. That real you. To be who you are with God. Your true self. And to live from that deep, deep self. That's a, that is a way that we become a room for God. As we start to come to grips with reality, with truth. God wants to lead you into the truth of who you are. Not, not your Instagram self. Mm -hmm. That stuff is fabricated. But, but, but imagine that Christ loves you. Just exactly you. Your real life. Christ is there. Present in your real weaknesses. Second thing. Ask God to save you from your own proud self. That you that you're, that you're most fond of sharing. We need to be saved from that. Because each and every one of us have, a, have a, a self that we feel really powerful and really beautiful about. 
the real you, the real you knows, the real you knows that you're powerless to change your life the way that you need it to be changed. There's, there's, so, there's so much meme culture out there that tells you that if you can just imagine the life that you want and you work really hard, you'll have it. But tell that to people with cancer and dying. We like to imagine that we're in a whole bunch more control than we actually are. But there is so much about your life, even the person you were born from, the place you were born, your family, your color, your race, none of that. None of that is your choice. And so much of our lives is beyond us, and that's what it means to be creatures who depend on God. That's what it means to be a creature who depends on God, who prays, who leans into God in the midst of our suffering, and who join each other in the midst of each other's suffering. So ask God to deliver you from your proud voice so that you can hear the voice of Jesus speaking to your real self. Listen to the poverty of your heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does Jesus mean by that? If it isn't what exactly I'm saying right now. And say to your false self, quiet, rest, listen. God is trying to speak. We have so many voices running in our minds. Voices of accusation and blame. Voices that tell you that you're failing. Voices that tell you that if you would work harder, if you would do more, if you'd give more in the offering, if you would pray a little harder, if you could change this thing about yourself, then people would love you. And the voice of Jesus is speaking, rest, quiet. And we have to be, to become a room for God, we have to be a people who quiet the loud voice of accusation in us so that we can hear Jesus speaking to us, quiet, rest, wait, listen. The Gospels are clear about this much. God is with the poor. God is with the afflicted. God is with the suffering. God is with the ordinary. God is with the overlooked. The one who's left on the side of the road. God's with him. God's with the one that the robbers have have beaten and left for dead. And the trouble is that all of us, all of us, have that person in us. That's the weak you that you don't like. That the enemy has preyed upon those voices in your mind and in your heart and in your life to beat and leave that you on the side of the road left for dead. The you that's not presentable, being stripped of, its, of your clothes, being stripped of your power, and being left on the side of the road for dead. We all know what it's like to be rejected in some sense. We all know the sense that Christ is talking about, about being rejected. The hardest part is that we're rejected by ourselves. And it's easy to map that self-rejection onto our relationship with God. It's easy to imagine that the voice in my head is the voice of God. The one that I'm listening to over and over again. And because I've privileged it once, I privilege it again and again and again. 
But God is not speaking to you in the voice of accusation and condemnation. God's voice lifts your head. It never casts you down. God calls us out in our sin, sure. But God's voice is never leading us to shame. You have to learn, I have to learn, that the you God is in love with is the very you that you're accusing. The you God's in love with is the you that was poor and suffering and ordinary, man. Just ordinary, plain old you. You want to know where Christ is in you? Where God is taking room in your life and in your heart? How you can be a room for God? It's not in your great thoughts. It's not in your deep prayers or your great visions. God is where you are poor. God's in you where you're suffering. Where you're so ordinary that no one would ever think that God is present to you. That's where God is. You are most present to God on a Tuesday afternoon. Mad as ever about something you read on Facebook. The most impoverished moment God's there. Where you are disappointed with yourself, Christ is there. Where you are unable to make yourself well. You've tried every physician and every self-help remedy and all the positive motivational thinking and you're still afflicted. Jesus is there loving you, the real you. Helping you in the parts of you most hidden to yourself. I love that what we were talking about this morning about Christ doing his work in the dark. We have to learn to trust that God is doing work in the dark. God loves doing his work in the dark. You remember the story in the Gospels of the little girl who, is, who passes away and, and the, Jesus is invited to come in and he walks in and he says, why are you crying? She's asleep. And they laugh at him. And Jesus pushes everybody out of the room. says, go on, go on. And he raises her from the dead. They come out of the bedroom and everybody's astonished. But do you know what's lovely about that story? Every single one of them has to ask themselves, not did he go up there and raise her from the dead. Was he right all along? She was just sleeping? Jesus sets up the miracle in such a way that no one could possibly know he did it. He bears their laughter and resurrection comes to the house that mocks Jesus. God loves to work in the dark. I want to read to you a quote from Teresa of Lisieux. She was a, a saint in the Catholic Church, and she was writing to a nun who was asking her for help, and she was saying, you know, I, I pray, and I pray, and I just, I'm, I feel so close, but yet I don't feel like God's love is perfected in me. And so she wrote to her two things. And this is the first one. She says, Jesus always helps us in ways that are hidden. He helps us without seeming to. That's how God works. You remember the story that there's the great whirlwind that goes by and the voice of God's not in it. The great fire that goes by, God's not in it. The tremendous thunder and God's voice isn't in it. But where's God's voice? 
in the still, quiet voice, that small, hidden voice. God loves to work without getting recognition. My little girl was recently, I was in bed, putting, putting her to bed and snuggling with her, and she, she started crying. She said, God, I, she said, Daddy, I want, I want to see God. I want to, I want to talk to God. I want to hear God, but why can't I see God? Why can't I hear God? And I said, baby, that's like, that's like the soil asking the flowers to grow down. I said, you're a flower, and God is the ground of your being. How silly would it be that God require you to grow into the dirt? He wants you to grow up. He wants you to be a bright, brilliant flower. God doesn't need you to notice him. (laughs) The last thing God needs, God needs nothing, but the last thing he needs is for you to notice him. Don't get me wrong, it's good that we pay attention to God. But not because God needs it. Because we need it. And what we need is to see and find God working in the hidden parts of us. The places in us that, are, that we even hide from ourselves. Because it's the most unlovely place in us. That's Christ at work in you. And the last thing that Teresa said, if you can learn to bear the trial of being displeasing to yourself in peace, you will become a perfect resting place for Jesus. If you can bear the trial being displeasing to yourself in peace. I want to read this to you. I wrote this little last bit here. Jesus is at work in ways we cannot notice. Rejoice in it. Trust it. He likes to work without drawing attention to himself. And God wants to be with you in your ordinary self. The you that you're most disappointed with. The you who knows your own powerlessness. Powerlessness to change or make a difference. The you that you've been accusing, Christ wants to make his home with you there. You see, there's a you of the voices of accusation and blame have beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. Don't go and do likewise in the world and forget to let God work his mercy in you. God wants to make his home in you, with you, the you you've given up on. He's coming to your house tonight to sup with you. Just real, plain old, ordinary, beloved you. Let's pray. God, make us a home for you. Make your home in us, Jesus. Where the the dishes are undone, The kids have left toys all over the floor. There's leaves and dirt that have blown in from the times that we've opened our door to neighbors we didn't really want to see. There's work to do. There's bills that have piled up. There's all kinds of mess in here. God, make your home in us. And Jesus, help us. Help us to let you come and be that good Samaritan to the, to the one we've left for dead on the side of the road. The real us. The ordinary us. God, make your home in us so that we can be a home for others. God, show us what it's like to make room for the parts of us that are 
despicable and hidden and put away from our sight. Help us to love that self so that we can be a room that makes room for those who feel that same very way about themselves, God. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. So friends, um, we have an opportunity to bring our room into this room tomorrow night and, um, and serve in our food pantry. And one little story for you from the kids, um, some kids we talked to this week that were a part of the outreach that Matt and Jamie did is um, they said, oh, I love this room. I used to go eat bread in the corner over there. We used to get the bread, the communion bread. We used to go eat bread in the corner over there. And um, I, and then I heard from a couple of the kids who used to play basketball here. And they said, oh, I love this. I love this room. Remember when this room used to be the basketball court? And so I so appreciate the, the idea of being a room for God and... Um, and that as we stand together, friends, that you're being invited to help prepare the room for God in people that are coming tomorrow night. You can stay behind with us here as we set up, and Scott gives us directions. But, you know, and I just want to say thank you, Peggy and Daniel, for all you're doing to create a room for God tomorrow and leading and guiding us um, in a way that reminds us how much it matters to um, suffer with and also let God be with us in our suffering. And so we just say, oh God, let whatever words need to stay with us here, to drop deeply into the soil, the ground of our lives, which is you pray we would not forget any word that you have quickened to us today, any word that we've been invited to hear. And we pray for tomorrow night that all these rooms for God right here, all of us in the place of our greatest need, that we would come and then serve others who are seeing their need. And it's in Christ's name and for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Samuel. Mm. Amen. You guys so, want to say thank you to Samuel for yeah. these last two weeks? And we know you didn't need that because you weren't trying to impress us or anything like that. We, we yes. know that. We hear your heart. We feel yes. your heart for God and for us in your words. Yeah, it's beautiful. So if you're able to stick around with us uh, for a few minutes to help prepare the room for tomorrow evening, that would be great. If not, we totally understand. You are all very busy people. Um, just a couple of quick things. If we can just take one of the round tables, uh, let's take two of the round tables over in the corner. And that's where all the centerpieces will go, okay? If there's any candles that are lit, there shouldn't be, but if there are any candles on those tables that are lit, uh, just be aware that that wax 
we don't want it spill all over the carpet. That creates there's no candles issues. today to save awesome. us from that. Well, I don't know if somebody brought in some contraband on their own and <laughs> like started lighting candles or lighting other stuff. We don't want anything burning, uh, dripping all over. You get it. So uh, let's do that. We need 50 chairs. We're not setting up a hundred anymore. Uh, we need 50 chairs kind of in this area. All the round tables get folded up and go back in that uh, corner storage room where you see the exit sign uh, back there. And we're so grateful. And I also want to remind everyone, be in prayer uh, over these weeks where our kids are uh, participating in peace camp. Be praying for our leaders, for Sarah and all of our leaders as they lead our kids into such incredible, important work. And if you know children, uh, maybe your own children or children uh, in your neighborhood or friends, kids, invite them out because we really believe that this is a very prophetic uh, summer for our children to get some impartation on things that this world needs so much, bringing the presence of Jesus into our kids' lives and then helping them bring uh, God's presence into their classrooms and such. Yeah, and these are actually invitations, so take them, mail them, so as you're picking up tables, grab these, send these out to some kiddos that you know. Even today, we had a Jesus-filled therapist upstairs talking to your kids about feelings. So I just want to say, you can't even imagine what we've got coming this summer. Yeah. And so we love you, and let's, let's prepare the room for God. Amen. Yes. Amen. Be Amen. blessed, guys. Have a great week.